Man, I'm excited too, very, very excited about the theme of this weekend, Focus on the Family. It started on Friday night with our Married People Night Out, and uh, man, that was a great time together. And then yesterday, we had two parenting sessions, parenting younger children, parenting teenagers, and Brother Ryan Thompson has done a phenomenal job of equipping us and helping us and inspiring us, motivating us, teaching us from God's Word and His experience on marriage and on the family. And that's going to be a theme all day long, and it's going to start right here in our Bible study hour. He's the pastor of Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. He's about five miles from the ocean and suffering for Jesus. And so you pray for him. He didn't quite know what snow looked like until he landed at the airport in Liberal, Kansas. And we welcomed him with some really good wind today. Um, so thankful for him to be here and uh, looking forward to his ministry all day today to the Fellowship family. Will you give him a good Fellowship Baptist Church welcome today? Thanks, bro. Thank you, Pastor Tyler, and thank you for coming out on this beautiful Sunday morning. What a beautiful day God's given to us. And it's my pleasure to be back with the Liberty, uh, the Liberty family. That's my church, the Fellowship family. And uh, I was here, I guess, two or three years ago for the Amen Conference and then stayed over on a Sunday and preached and just loved the time here. Uh, the spirit in this place is, is something special. I have the privilege to visit several different churches throughout each year and, and what God has done. And is doing. Aren't you glad that God isn't done working through this church, in and through this church? What God has done in the history of this church and what God is doing uh, in this church is such a blessing. Your pastor, I, I mentioned it Friday night, I think, has been a blessing to our church. Our teenagers love him. He's preached our teen camp a couple of times. And when we went to online services for COVID, I think you might have been the first one. Uh, that came on and he preached to our youth group on, online through Zoom and all the crazy things we tried to do during those weeks when we were trying to figure out how to stay connected and uh, thankful that we're able to be back in person. And, uh, and your former pastor, Pastor Prater, has been a blessing to us as well. He's preached in our church on a Sunday and it's been a real encouragement to me. And I'm just thankful for what God is doing in this place. And, and what a blessing to have a weekend for an emphasis on the family. And sometimes... Depending on where you're at in life, you might feel like, well, that's not for me. I either I'm single or, or I don't have children or my children are grown. That's, I'm not, that's just for that, that small group of people. And what I have found is God's word has truths and principles that, that we can glean every time that we hear it preached. Even if the main emphasis is something to this morning during this hour, I'm going to preach on biblical parenting a little bit. Not, not quite the nuts and bolts of some, like I did yesterday, but some biblical principles. And I, I can recall you say, I'm single. What does this have to do with me? God began to develop uh, biblical philosophies of marriage and parenting long before uh, God gave me a wife or children. And and for those that might not have been here over the weekend, um, God has blessed me with a wonderful wife, Tiffany. We've been married uh, last week, 21 years, and I'm thankful for that. And, uh, and then God's blessed us with five children, ages 6 to 18. And, uh, but God began to do that. And others, you say, well, we, we, we've never had children, or we're married and don't have children, or whatever, where, wherever you find yourself. I'm a grandparent or a great-grandparent. God's word, I, I believe, if you'll stay with me this morning, there will be some principles and some helps, uh, even just understanding the heart of God and the nature of God. And yes, the application this morning will be uh, toward parenting, but I think all of us can be helped by his word. And, and then we'll be looking uh, in the morning service and in the evening service, uh, kind of a two-part message on the life and family of Samson. 
And I hope that it'll be a blessing this morning at 1045 and tonight at six o'clock. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me, we've been in this passage a couple of times this weekend already. Ephesians chapter number six. Friday night we were in Ephesians five with the married couples and Yesterday, during one of the sessions, we went over to Ephesians 6. We've been in, in a few different spots in, this, in the scriptures this weekend, and we'll continue to that and go into some different places today. Ephesians chapter number 6, a familiar passage, five for many, 5 and 6, of Paul speaking to the church at Ephesus on some of the roles and biblical guidelines for different roles in life. A husband, a wife, children, a boss, an employee, some of the different roles that we find ourselves in life. And, and I want to, as I begin this study this morning or these thoughts this morning, I want to make a statement regarding the, what, what, what may be a good reminder for biblical parenting. The goal in Christian families is not to raise well-behaved children. It is to rear Christ-like adults. And I think as we look, and by the way, again, I'm not going to try to apply this in every way every time I talk about it. This is an emphasis on parenting. But this would be true if in the Christian school. This would be true in the youth group. This would be true if you have grandchildren, what you're praying for. This is true. But the goal in Christian families is not to raise well-behaved children. Sometimes I think we can lose sight on the big picture. And I talked about this a little bit yesterday. We're raising eternal souls and, and they're in our homes for just a short time. The, the prayer, the goal is to rear Christ-like adults. That's what we're shooting toward, not just well-behaved children for a few short years. Christ-like adults for a lifetime. Let's look at Ephesians chapter number 6, beginning in verse number 1. Would you read verse 1 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And all God's parents said... Here we go. Kids, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Verse 2, honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, of course, coming from the Ten Commandments where it talks about that it will be well with you if you learn to do this and, and if you obey this commandment. And I talked about the fact that obedience in general deals with the actions. Honor deals with the attitude. And we can obey with a bad spirit. And as children of God, God wants us to obey, yes, but it's from a relationship, not because I have to, I'm forced to follow these lists of rules. No, I want to honor God with my life. That's a spirit. That's an attitude. That's a, a motivation for why I obey Scripture. Don't get it backwards. Sometimes in, in, in throughout history, even in Jesus' day, we get it backwards that we, we obey and that the, the external, the actions are most important. No, it flows from a heart of honor uh, and that that then obedience follows, but he says, children, obey, honor thy father, verse three, that it may, we, may be well with thee and that thou mayest live long on the earth. Verse four, would you read it aloud, please? Ready, begin. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I want to give you first here the warning to Christian parents in this passage. The warning to Christian parents, ye fathers, Provoke not your children to wrath. It is possible in our parenting and in our treatment of our children to foster a spirit of anger, of resentment, of bitterness, of unforgiveness. 
Where, where there's a, it's, it's, man, I can't stand being around my kids and they can't stand being around me. And, and teenagers counting down the days or the weeks or the months till they can get out of the house. And, and, and that, that can happen in our homes, whether sometimes, you know, we, we realize it and other times we don't. And what can provoke our children to wrath? There are different reasons. Sometimes it's angry parents and it's a, a parent that mistreats and has a bad spirit. Other times abusive parents can provoke their children to wrath. Sometimes absent parents. And I, I was born out of wedlock. My mom and dad were never married. I was raised by a single mom. Then I had a stepdad for a few years. And then, then my mom and stepdad divorced. And, and, and I, I don't know that I struggled too much with this, but sometimes people from, they look at other people's homes and say, well, if I just had that family, then I'd be happy and they get angry at either God or angry at their parents or angry at their situation. Sometimes as parents, and we've all been there, but our inconsistencies, our neglect, our harshness, being overbearing, impossible expectations can all lead our children to be provoked to wrath, to anger, resentful, bitterness. And we're, we're warned as parents, we're commanded, do your best not to do this. But I'm thankful that the Bible doesn't just stop with a warning. That verse doesn't end there. Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Okay, man, I don't want to do that. I love there's that conjunction, that little, those three little letters, B-U-T. It says, but it's going to give us kind of the answer, the antidote uh, to what we do to not provoke our children to wrath. Instead of doing that, to keep from doing that, do this. See the second half of the verse in verse 4? But bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The action of Christian parents is there, bring them up. It's, in, it's, it's intentional. It's not a passive thing. You're working just if, if you were here, there's, there's farms, and I don't know much about farms. I was born in the, in the Bay Area of Northern California, um, where the greater Bay Area, I think population is 7 million. Now I live in Orange County which is 3 million, and then about 30 minutes is Los Angeles, which is, I don't know how many million. I, I've never been around farming much in my life, but I, the, the little bit that I do know, you're not going to bring up a crop. You're not going to bring up, what's a group of cattle called? What are we, a herd? A herd? A herd. You're not going to bring up a herd without involvement, without intentionality, without work, without labor. Bring them up gives us the idea of there's some actions there's some involvement. There's some intentionality involved here as Christian parents understanding it is, it, yes, with God's help, and yes, it's God that does this, but humanly speaking, it is our God-given role and responsibility to take them from where they are to where they need to be. And again, I understand, God has to make up the hedge. No, none of us are, we talked about this yesterday, behavior modification versus heart transformation. God, but, 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 uh, how did, how did, I just read it recently, something about God wants us to pray, but it, you know, if we, if we need to dig a hole, he wants us to pray, but he doesn't want us to just stand there on a shovel and pray. He wants us to get to work, right? And yes, we need, and we're going to talk about it in, some, in the morning service. We need to pray and it's a spiritual work, parenting in the family, in the home, but we need to get to work. We need to be involved, not just, well, God, no, the, the command is don't provoke them to wrath, but bring them up. You need to get involved and passionate, involved in this. Bring them up. I've heard it said, children, spell love, T-I-M-E. 
This idea of being a Christian parent, we've got to be involved. We've got to be intentional. It's an active task, not a passive state of being. Well, I'm a Christian parent. I, sh- I, I brought them to church. I sure hope the youth group uh, really gets them going. I hope those children's programs teach them all about the Bible. The primary place for discipleship in our children's lives should be the home. Now, the church should come alongside whatever we're doing. And I understand there are some in this room that you don't live in a Christian home. And praise God that you have a church like this. But for those that do have a Christian home, do not outsource the spiritual formation of your child to the church. Well, I paid for a youth pastor and I paid for, uh, for them to have staff so they can get some volunteers to have children's ministries and nurseries. And I sent them to teen camp and I just can't figure it out. No, parents, train them up, bring them up, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he'll not depart from it. Passive parenting is killing us. Throughout Proverbs, what does it say? It talks about here, the instruction. Well, that again gives us the idea there needs to be instruction. And what the church is doing should come alongside what we're doing. But do not shirk from that. It's our job. Children need our investment. They need our influence. They need our intentional time and training. According to an article a few years ago in Time Magazine, the average parent spends less than 36 minutes per day with their children, including time spent in front of the television. Children love to spend time with us, but here's what I have found having kids 6 to 18. A lot of times when they're really eager and asking to spend time with you, we're really busy and we get a little tired and we kind of push them off. And then they get a little older and we want to spend time with them. And they're a little busy and push us off. And I've been there. Dad, can you, you, want, can you go out and play with me? Son, not right now. I'm reading this. I'm, I'm busy here. Let me, let me, in a few minutes. And, and almost always I've come to regret that. That I didn't stop what I was doing to go spend some time to intentionally, to read with them, to, to study with them, to play with them, to laugh, to wrestle, whatever it might be. And I've tried to do a lot of that, but at times I've failed. Our son Trey, he's in third grade now. He's, he's nine years old. I can remember a few years ago when he was around four or five. He learned, uh, he learned a way to try to, to let me know that he wanted to spend individual time with me. And he learned how to hint to try to convince me to spend time with him. He, he'll let, he would let me know exactly what he wanted to do by letting me know that it was my decision. And he would say stuff. He loves, he loved throwing baseball back and forth and doing different things. And he would say stuff and he would say, hey, dad, it's up to you if you want to go outside and play catch with me right now. <laughs> hey, hey, dad, it's up to you if we should bring the bat and you can pitch to me. It's up to you if we can walk to the park after dinner. What was, what was he trying to say in his little four or five year old heart? Hey, dad, can we go? Sure. Can we spend some time together? And again, I've done well with that at times and other seasons I haven't done so well. And I look and it goes quickly. They need us involved. Parents, it's up to us if we're going to bring them up. The warning of Christian parenting, provoke not. The, the, the action of Christian parenting, bring them up. The environment of parenting. Notice it here in, in, in chapter 4, I'm sorry, verse 4, the end of it. What's the environment in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? The nurture, nurture, the env- an environment of encouragement. 
to nurture is to take care of, to, to meet the needs of, to, to in, a, an environment where there's healthy growth. You're an, an environment of encouragement. We looked at 1 Thessalonians 2.7, Paul talking about his relationship with those Christians and he likened it to a, a relationship of a parent. What did he say? He said, we were, we were gentle among you even as a nurse cherisheth her children. That environment of nurture, that environment of gentleness, that environment of encouragement. And I tend my, my, by nature, I tend to be a little more um, fact of the matter, a little more black and white, a little more, if I'm not careful, harsh uh, with my children or, or even just in my leadership style. It's like, and so I, often I don't even notice it. I don't mean to be that way. It's just like, let's get the job done. This is what needs to be done. And my wife will tell me, honey, you need to soften it up a little bit. You're, you can be intimidating to people. You can come across a little too strong. And not, not, not just my kids, but that can happen with my kids as well. But he says, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. A, a loving, our homes ought to be loving, gentle, wonderful places of, of, of praise and of, of loving correction, verbal affirmations of love. The opposite of provoking to anger, nurturing, loving, caring, encouraging. A healthy environment to learn, to grow, to fail. And sometimes, as soon as a child makes a mistake, man, we're all over them and it's not a nurturing environment for growth it's a harsh fearful environment in our homes again see the juxtaposition here provoke not your children to wrath but bring them up in the nurture that word just when you hear it it carries a whole different spirit about it doesn't it are our homes a nurturing place loving growing beautiful uh, encouraging, helpful. The environment of parenting, nurture, and an environment of encouragement. Admonition. I see here the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Admonition and an environment of intentional instruction. What's an admonition? I'm going to instruct you at times. That's going to include a correction. And, and I'm going to instruct you in the ways of the Lord. An environment of an intentional instruction. The admonition of the Lord. May I suggest this morning, we instruct by, one of the ways we instruct is by our example. Parents, that the, the parenting philosophy of do, do as I say, not as I do, isn't a real strong one. It's not a real good one. Most of the time, it's not going to turn out too well. Most of the time, our kids are saying, who you are, speak so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. Who we are as far, what was it, Patch the Pirate that said, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Parents, and that doesn't mean we have to be perfect. Teenagers, kids, don't hold your parents to a, a standard of perfection. I'm going to give you a little secret. I see a lot of teens sitting right here and some others in other spots. I don't know any of your parents probably, but here's one thing I know about them. They're not perfect. And they're never going to be perfectly consistent parents. And give them a little grace, because when you become a parent, you're not going to be a perfectly consistent parent either. Uh, but, but parents, we, again, we ought not use that to justify, well, that's just the way that I am. I, and, and, and justify all manners of wickedness and ungodliness and unkindness and, and harshness within our homes. No, parents, provoke not, but bring them up. That's the action in the environment, is in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, in, intentional instruction. And we in, instruct by our for example, none of us is perfect. There's a difference between imperfection and inauthenticity. Children don't, it's been said before, children don't want, need perfect parents. They need real parents. 
You don't have to be a perfect Christian, but it's going to be really hard if you're not a real Christian, an authentic Christian. And kids can see that, especially as they get a little bit older, they, they start to see some of that. And, and as parents, don't hold yourself to a standard of perfection, but seek to be authentic, uh, real Christian parents. We not only instruct by our examples, but we instruct by our schedules or our family activities, our priorities. What are, our, what are your children and mine learning about priorities by our schedule, our family activities, the priority we give the things of God in our lives? Is there, we go an entire day, is there any mention of God? Is there any opening of Scripture? Is there any prayer before a meal? Is there any acknowledging that God is in our lives or is it only on, and if you come on Sundays, I'm glad. If you're a new Christian, keep growing. But, but is it, well, I know that, I know that God's a priority for my, my family on Sunday morning. The rest of the week, the priority is us. The priority is, is our, our schedules and our priorities and our, what we want to do. Parents, we, we, we are training. We're, we're intentionally instructing, whether we understand it or not, by our schedules, our, our family activities. What are our children learning about our priorities by that? Uh, there's an article that I read to our church I, I read a while ago, and I don't know if this applies here or not, but it seems that with, as God gives children, so often the extracurricular activities can take priority over the things of God. I read a satire article yesterday in one of the parenting sessions about parents who brought their kids to church at least once a quarter are shocked that when they graduated high school, they no longer went to church. And it was a joking article, but it reminded us we put so many things over. And this article is entitled, When Ball Becomes Bail. This this author says, it's rare to see kids playing sports in the neighborhood anymore. We're now organized and professionalized, including uniforms, state-of-the-art facilities, endless trips to the field, competitive coaches, and equally competitive parents. It's fun, and it can be instructive. I love to watch my kids play sports. In fact, they need to play some. Making that decision means that you may be out four to five times each week during the season. Soon, sports becomes all about calendarization and control of your life, especially if you have more than one kid. Perhaps nothing outside of a change in your job has so much potential to turn the family schedule upside down. This man understands, you say, now comes the part you won't like. Behold, I say unto you, you have made sports the household God. Too strong? Okay, not all of you. But the deification of sports is happening to many. How does ball become bail? Answer, this is powerful, when it controls you and you give it devoted worship. Because it is around your God that you order your life and you can almost never say no to it. Sports has taken over more and more of the life of believers. Almost overnight, we have awakened to the sad fact that in many communities, sports has even usurped the hours believers meet on the Lord's Day. All too often, members are saying to church leaders, we'll be gone next Sunday because of the soccer tournament. In turn, leaders are supposed to acquiesce humbly. After all, we can't afford to appear legalistic. Everyone knows that the greatest crime a church can commit is to demand something of someone. You'll hear, but the team needs all the players. We can't let the team down. It never occurs to them that the church body is being deprived of a necessary body part or that God is marginalized and disobeyed. We are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, states God in Hebrews 10.25. Devotion is the operative word. When the team says we need you, we sacrifice to do it. But when it crosses the time allotted to spiritual edification and worship, the ruler of the universe is often sent to the bench. In the process, we teach our children 
that devotion to sports is more important than both devotion to God and loyalty to our spiritual family. Have you considered that you may be teaching your kids to worship sports? And then he gives some ways to put sports in their proper place. Decide beforehand there will be no contest between the church's essential activities designed for your family's spiritual growth and what the team plans for your lives. Secondly, determine your children cannot play every sport. There is a sanctity to the home life that must be protected. You need quiet evenings at home. You need meals together. Let your children know you're excited about sports, but there are limits. Finally, think about some creative choices. And he goes on to say that one of his sons played basketball. The season was interminably long. I was also traveling, so I would be gone speaking over the weekend. Then when I was home, I was out two or more nights sitting on the sidelines watching my son practice. It was not really time together. This wasn't going to work. The solution came to me after prayer. I asked him if he'd be willing to learn golf in the place of basketball. We could play together along with his brother, and we could do it whenever we wanted. We could enjoy this for the rest of our lives. I don't play golf. I'm not telling you you can't have my kids. I just signed my nine-year-old up for flag football. I'm currently coaching my two oldest in high school basketball. There's nothing wrong in and of sports. And this isn't a message against sports. It's a reminder we're teaching our children with our priorities. And sports may not be a part of your life, but it might be something else. Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up. In what? The nurture and admonition of the Lord. We instruct by our example. We instruct by our schedule. We instruct by our training. By you and other godly influences. That's why church is so important. And, and if you're not used to having a daily, a daily family time of prayer, and for our, I'm a pastor. We don't have big, long, hour-long theology discussions. Four mornings a week, we read 12 verses of Proverbs a day together. We go from youngest to oldest. We read one verse each, and then we rotate it again. And there's only six of us now because my oldest went off to college. So we read 12 verses every morning, and then we talk a little bit about those. In times past, we've done different things where we'll sing together at night, or you can get a, if you have young kids, there's a book called the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's just it's got stories that you could read one a night. And it's colored pictures and find something. You don't have to. Well, I didn't go to Bible college. I don't know how to run a church service every night. Your kids don't need a church service every night, but they do need some daily time where you're letting them know God is the center of our of our lives, of our home. And if you've not done that before, start simple, but start in the, in tra- bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I'm going to close. I'm going to give you four, a parenting matrix and ask yourself what kind of, of instruction and environment are you leading in your home? Four types of parenting styles, if you will. And most of us as parents lean toward one of these four types. The first one is neglectful. Neglectful is low in love and low in control. We don't care what our kids do, and we're not involved in whatever they're doing. Low in love, low in control. We avoid setting boundaries. We live selfishly, not giving time to our children. And even while these children take advantage of the relaxed rules, they translate the lack of attention as a lack of love. They might enjoy the freedom on some level, but they really would much rather have the love of a parent. Proverbs 29, 15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Neglectful parents will lead their children and and allow their children to make really damaging decisions most often. Secondly, type of parent that we lean toward is permissive. And this one might feel like it's high in love, low in control. I could argue that a permissive parent maybe isn't high in real love, but they kind of feel, this is the one, I want to be my kid's friend. By the way, if you focus on being their friend when they're younger, you're probably not going to be a real close friend when they're older. 
I'm not saying to be their enemy, but if you focus on being their parent when they're younger, good chance they turn into one of your best friends when they're older. They need a parent right now, not a best friend. And it doesn't mean you can't be a, a friend. We already talked about that nurture, that environment of love. But permissive, this is what you see with child-centric homes. The kids lead, not the parents. This is the parent you hear. I'm going to tell you one more time. If I, if I'm going to count to 10. You better get over. I've told you 10 times. What is that? There's no structure. It's just this kid knows he's in charge. He runs the show. This is uh, when you go... Where's the mall again? When, when you go to the mall in Amarillo, we went over this yesterday. There's no malls. Uh, when you go to the mall and you're at the play place, there's, uh, some of you, there's these things called malls in parts of America. And, uh, and the kid doesn't want to leave. And the parent lets the kid run it. Or the kid, at, I was going to say at Target. They don't have that here either. At, um, is there Walmart here? You guys got Walmart. All right. We're moving up. Actually, I love, I love the, 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 I love the environment of, of your city. I love being here. But you're at Walmart. That's the kid that's on the ground kicking and screaming till the mom buys him the candy. And, and what is that? That's the child-centric. The kid's running the home, that permissive parenting. I'll give you candy if you stop. The parent fears the child. It ought not be, ought not be that way. Number three, the third, we see neglectful, permissive. The third type is authoritarian. I would say this one is low in love, high in control. Pushes their children to conformity rather than leading them to spiritual maturity. Again, the goal is not well-behaved children, conformity. The goal is Christ-like adults, spiritual maturity. An authoritarian parent, that child might, they might have some of the most well-behaved young children in the world. Because that kid is scared to death. they're, They're looking at external behavior over heart transformation. Discipline and instruction in this home are important. But, but they are not necessarily bathed and wrapped in nurturing love. And, and discipline, instruction, and structure should be important, but it must be bathed and wrapped in nurturing love. It's been said before, rules without relationship leads to rebellion. And then lastly, not the authoritarian, but the authoritative. High in love, high in control. The parent, and when I say control, you understand a structure. The parent is, is, has taken that God-given responsibility very serious. I am their authority. I am their spiritual authority. I am their God-given authority, but I'm not going to abuse or manipulate that authority. What I do, I'm doing for their good. Isn't that what the Bible says in Hebrews? Talking about when God chastens us, it's, it's not after his own pleasure. It's not, it's not to make him feel good. The kids are not there to serve him. He, it's, it, when he, even when he has to correct and bring some pain into our lives, the Bible says it's for our own good. It, it bears in us the peaceable fruit of righteousness. God doesn't do anything anything out of retribution to us. I mentioned this yesterday. God does not punish his children. There's only one child of his that he ever punished for your sins. And that was his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. He took the penalty of our sins. God does not punish his children. Punishment is retribution, getting even for the past. God does not punish you if if God does whom the Lord loveth. He chasteneth. And by the way, that's what it's done out of love, not revenge. Chastening is preparation for the future. 
I'm going to bring this pain into your life right now so that, that you can purify your life, the peaceable fruit of righteousness, so that you can serve me with greater blessing and joy in the future. And parents, we've got to change the mindset, even if in the, as we are the authoritative parent, the, the God-given authority, we are not getting even for something they've done back here. We are trying out of a heart of love whom the Lord loveth. He chasteneth out of a heart of love to help purify him. You ever think of the word to chasten? What's the root word there? Chaste. It's to purify. You ever think of the, the word discipline? What's the root word there? Disciple. Our chastening should be that which is eliminating foolishness from them, preparing them to be chaste disciples of Jesus Christ. If your chastening is not leading to a, a godly sorrow and a heart of repentance, it's an, and it's leading to bitterness and anger and frustration and division and my kid this and my dad this and my mom that, we're doing something wrong. When God chastens us, it doesn't push us away from him. It draws us closer to him. God, I'm sorry I did that. I want to be more like you want me to be. That authoritative, lovingly nurturing the child's heart while training him in obedience, nurture and admonition of the Lord. The earthly father should be a representation of the heavenly father. Psalm 101 says, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. In our lives, which one are we? Neglectful, permissive, authoritarian, or that godly authoritative parent that, that does realize they have a God-given responsibility and, and we're seeking, again, not to raise well-behaved children, to rear Christ-like adults. The warning, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. By the way, that, that principle goes for any leader in here in any way at all. If God's giving you leadership over people, don't, don't be that dictator provoking folks to wrath. No, be that Christ-like, godly servant leader. The, the warning, the, the action of parenting, bring them up. Some of you parents, maybe it's time for you to jump in. You've been, you've been leaving all the parenting to your spouse. It's time to jump in and take your responsibility for that period of time that you have that opportunity. Bring them up. There's some action there. Crop's not going to grow on its own. A herd isn't going to grow on its own. We've got to bring them up. And then the environment in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Trained by example. Trained by our schedules, our priorities. Trained by our instruction. And ask ourselves, am I high in control, low in love? Am I low in control, high in love, permissive? Am I low in control, low in love, neglectful? Or am I seeking with God's help to be high in love, high in control, a godly structure that's filled our homes are a haven of Christ-like love. I hope some thought there was a help to you. Pastor Tyler.